Recess Now, 5-Minute Bit. I'm Ralph Seymour. Uh, today we're going to wrap up TXA Part 3. So we kind of went over in Part 1 the indications for TXA. We kind of went over what TXA does and, and, and that kind of thing. And we were pretty... Um, we were pretty specific as to uh, when to use it and, and what the data uh, showed in, in terms of uh, strength of data. And then we talked a little bit about dosages. Uh, as promised to a, a friend of mine that works in the field as a paramedic, we're going to go over a sample protocol uh, for TXA and, and kind of go through um, how TXA could be used in the field. Now, you as paramedics always have to follow your own system protocols. And that means that you don't listen to this show and take what I say um, home with you and say, okay, well, I'm going to start doing that because I heard it on this uh, podcast. This podcast is for your reference. It's for your learning, but it's not telling you that you should ever deviate from your protocols or your system parameters or institutional guidelines. Uh, So I, I just feel like that's worth mentioning. But this is a sample protocol that I thought was worth going through and and maybe it will kind of help you identify, um, you know, bring to light what TXA, how TXA could be used in the field um, as a paramedic. So the first thing you got to do when you come up on a trauma patient, obviously, is stabilize all the things that you would normally stabilize. You know, military way of looking at trauma is 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 um, kind of getting away from the traditional A, B, C, D, E of ATLS or, um, you know, as a, as a uh, paramedic, you're a lot of times taking uh, BT or you're taking uh, ITLS, but airway has always been the essential thing that you started with. But, you know, in the military, they're kind of looking at uh, catastrophic life-threatening bleeding as being the replacement for A, and then you go on airway. And I think the most reasonable way of looking at it is identifying catastrophic uh, compressible bleeding right away is 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 really the the uh, the the bread and butter of trauma. I really believe that, and, that, and you know, I digress a little bit, but that kind of goes along with the indication of TXA. You start thinking about TXA when you're starting starting to think about uh, a patient that is bleeding out. Okay, a patient that is bleeding out, a patient that is in hemorrhagic shock. And how do we define that? Well, besides looking for the obvious, obvious signs of bleeding, you definitely want to start looking for things that um, are going to tell you that there is uh, malperfusion, you know, pallor, color of the skin is going to be very important. Checking for radial pulses, distal pulses, okay, to see exactly what kind of blood pressure that you have at least Okay, degree of blood loss, you want to take that into consideration, the whole picture. Okay, so these categorized traumas, the, uh, as we call it um, in the Midwest, but I mean, it's called a lot, you know, trauma alerts elsewhere. You know, a lot of people listen to this podcast from all areas of the world. So I don't want to use specific terminology to a specific region. But I think that the first thing you have to do is identify ongoing hemorrhage. Okay, and you have to identify that your patient is in hemorrhagic shock as a result of this ongoing hemorrhage. Now, the way you're going to do that is by looking for signs of malperfusion. If you want to use uh, skin quality as a marker for that, use skin quality. Okay, use blood pressure. You know, some people are using a a systolic blood pressure of less than 90. Okay, some people are using a systolic blood pressure of less than 110 if patients are older. 
That makes sense, okay? Because patients that are older are not going to tolerate lower blood pressures as well as younger patients will. You can use some tachycardia as a sign of malperfusion because when patients enter in to certain stages of shock, hemorrhagic shock, their, their heart rate is going to inevitably go up. Now, there are going to be exceptions to that. Patients that are on beta blockers may not have that, they may not mount that same response. But I think when patients have hypoperfusion in the setting of tachycardia, then you have to consider other things like hemorrhagic shock being one of them. Look at the capillary refill. Look at the patient's mental status. Are they confused? Are they completely with it? And then feel the extremities. I've always told patient people that I have uh, precepted in the past when I was a paramedic that you get so much from just uh, feeling the skin of somebody. You can you can identify well, what their pulse is. You can identify what their blood pressure is at least. You can identify the qualities of the skin. Are they are they cool? Are they um, are they uh, moist? diaphoretic, things like that. So put your hands on the patient and get a good assessment of what's going on. So these, um, when you identify the right patient, you have to identify the timing too. So with TXA, you want to make sure that the injury has occurred within three hours because past three hours, there's no benefit to giving TXA. So understanding that uh, one of the contraindications that's going to be listed, I believe, out there universally are injuries that occurred greater than three hours uh, ago. You know, you don't want to be giving uh, TXA for that, okay? So because the the, the CRASH-2 trial was very clear uh, to that end. Um, you know, obviously, if your receiving facility is not prepared to um, continue the treatment or certainly deliver definitive care to a trauma patient, um, then that has to be considered. Any kind of uh, current thromboembolic problem, meaning a DVT, PE, clotting disorders like factor 5 Leiden, things that make you clot really easy, probably shouldn't get TXA. Now, whether or not you're going to know that in the field or not, is a different discussion, and I don't know that you will. There's a lot going on on these trauma scenes, and I understand that, and I think anybody receiving the patient would understand that. So just do the best that you can with getting the best history that you can. Uh, renal disease, you know, all, as I said in the last uh, podcast, uh, TXA generally is 95% uh, excreted from the urine. So patients that are on dialysis or, you know, um, are like late stage uh, chronic kidney disease probably yeah, have some caution with uh, TXA. Some people are going to probably contraindicate, some institutions or um, local protocols are going to contraindicate it with renal disease. So just to keep that in mind. Isolated head injury, sure. You know, we talked about the CRASH-3 trial. We talked about all the things re uh, revolving around the data when it comes to uh, head injuries and bleeds. So if it's an isolated head injury, uh, hold off with TXA. But there's also a lot of times going to be concomitant head injuries with multi-system trauma. So I think it's, it's, it's okay to give it in that setting because you're really trying to stop life-threatening bleeding. And that is one thing that TXA happens to be good at. The data uh, isn't necessarily bad in head injured patients, but they weren't able to establish definite benefit in certain um, in, in overall in the CRASH-3 trial. So to be clear, 
If it's an isolated head trauma, don't give TXA. If you have multi-system trauma and all the um, all the other things that I've talked about to this point, uh, identifying hemorrhagic shock, then I think it's I think it's probably okay to give. Um, taking birth control containing estrogen and progesterone. Now we're getting a little fancy. Now, now we're getting a little nitpicky. So the reason that would ever be in any kind of a sample protocol or a system protocol is because anybody that's taking birth control pills that contain estrogen or progest- uh, progestin or progesterone is uh, that makes you that promotes blood clotting. So you don't want to give TXA on top of that because then you might have further thromboembolic events and yada, yada, yada. I think we're getting a little nitpicky there, but I do understand the reason why it's there. So generally speaking, one gram of TXA would be administered over 10 minutes. I think that that is pretty universal. So I think that will wrap up our talk on TXA part one, two, and three. I think I went a little bit long. I apologize. I call these five-minute bits. I almost never make it within five minutes, but this is Ralph Seymour for Rhesus Now. We'll see you next time.